Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's voice of reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. We're staying with the conversation just a little bit longer today when it comes to the border and immigration. Of course, we're watching on all of the screens from the cable news networks. We have dueling things going on with the current president, the former president, down at different places along the border. And after all will be said and done today, much more will be said than will ever be done. And none of it, I think, will actually move us closer to the kinds of solutions and the kinds of conversations that we need to have as it relates to all of these things. Uh, So we talked about uh, green cards in the last segment. We've talked about uh, some of the important elements to all of this in terms of having rule of law and compassion being compatible principles, which they are. Uh, And so many of these things that that could be solved, I think, in an afternoon on the floor of the House and the Senate, because everybody agrees, uh, but many are far too focused on the politics and the wedge issue of it rather than getting to the principle and the policy pieces that could actually solve the problem. Uh, fascinating piece in the New York Times today uh, that I think is part of the right kind of conversation we need to be having. And it's the fact that immigrants are crucial to the economy. And we're doing it and going about it in all the wrong ways and looking at all the wrong places. Uh, Lydia DePillis is a, a writer for uh, the New York Times, a reporter for the New York Times. She covers the American economy with an emphasis on how American workers and businesses are affected by public policy. And uh, Lydia joins us on the line. Lydia, welcome to Inside Sources. Good to be here. Uh, Great piece today. And thank you for getting us towards a conversation that matters when it comes to immigration. Uh, Talk to us about this in terms of the economic dividend of immigration uh, and some of the legal and some of the logistical hurdles you pointed out in your piece today. That's right. You know, I don't think anyone would really argue that immigrants have been so important to the American economy for centuries. Obviously, that's how most of our ancestors got here. Um, the question that has been about what happens when a lot of immigrants come very quickly uh, into a few places, right? And that is really what is causing the difficulty and the consternation mm. these days. And, you know, it's always been hard to absorb people quickly when they come in a sort of concentrated fashion in a short period of time. So I don't think we should think of this as like totally unprecedented. Um, But I I think that the general precept that immigration is healthy for the U.S. economy um, is complicated when you have uh, a, a legal situation that makes it difficult for people to have any kind of predictability, mm. uh, for them to migrate where the job demands are highest, uh, to ha- and uh, to get the kinds of training and support that they need to be successful and really contribute uh, to their greatest abilities. Yeah, and I think that's such a, an important thing. And uh, you point this out in the piece that I just loved, uh, the fact that uh, that immigrants coming in have re-energized shrinking towns, struggling cities. Uh, before we talked about in our last segment, how in the Declaration of Independence, way before they got to taxation without representation, they wanted more immigration to be able to happen, and uh, we still need that today. Yeah, you know, it was fascinating, and I couldn't get into all of this in the piece, but a lot of cities have set up what are sort of called welcoming organizations, especially the sort of post-industrial places that had been shrinking for a long time. I'm, I mentioned an organization in Philadelphia, but also in the Detroit area. That has been a mm. very intentional, long-term effort to try to 
reverse population decline in, in, in that area of Michigan. And super successful, right? Like lots of, especially refugee communities, um, have created, you know, whole towns that are, that are vibrant places and bring a lot of diversity and excitement to, to those parts of the country. And it's also true in upstate New York, right? There's been refugee resettlement operations in places like Utica and Rochester. So you have Hmong people and Somalian people. And, um, and refugees, of course, come with a lot of support. They get work training, housing assistance, and it doesn't help them forever. Uh, and, and a lot of it, you know, they have to get on their feet quickly. But um, the folks who are coming in generally from places like West Africa now, um, Nicaragua, Cuba, Haiti, Venezuela, they're entitled to none of that, right? Mm. And so unless they have family connections or their own wealth, which is not that common, they have very few resources. And that's why at the moment uh, cities like New York, Chicago, Denver – um, are having to spend so much of their budgets, which is, you know, honestly, certainly concerning. Like nobody's nobody's minimizing that. Yeah, no question about that. And uh, one of the things that I, that you also pointed out in your piece uh, is one just the uh, the likelihood of immigrants working. So that work rate, I think, is a is a very fascinating number. Uh, and then the fact that that we're finally getting to the point where we're getting some of those authorizations moving through. They were at such low levels for so long. Uh, but that's starting to to pick up. Tell us the impact of that and what the projections are for that moving forward. That's right. So um, immigrants have always participated in the labor force at a higher rate than native-born workers, in part that's because they're younger. They uh, and have, tend to have more children, and so that is just sort of a natural demographic thing. Um, and the the work permit situation was really difficult because a lot of big city mayors were saying, listen, we can't support these people forever, but according to immigration law, a law that went into effect in 1996, those seeking asylum could not even get their work permit until six months after they filed their application, which is no easy feat on its own. And then those applications were taking, you know, about a part of a year to finish a couple of years ago and complete and turn around. So um, the Biden administration really got on top of that, uh, in part because of a court order, actually. And so They've been processing these at the rate of, you know, tens of thousands a month. Mm. There were it was up to 1.2 million work permits for this like set of folks coming in um, for humanitarian reasons. So it's not just about that on the workforce if those people can actually um, get to work and find jobs. And you know, as I just said, I was looking at Utah's unemployment rate. I'm sure you know what it's among the lowest in the country. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of employers who can't find the people they need. And um, and so if more of those folks could find their way to public city or other cities, uh, I'm sure they would be put to use pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a great piece. Uh, Lydia DePillis, a reporter for The New York Times, uh, there is a dividend uh, to all of this uh, when we start looking at uh, those coming to the country, not as liabilities to be managed, but as human assets, fellow travelers, immense potential to make a difference in our communities. And there's a way to do that. Lydia, thanks so much for joining us today. Sure thing. All right, we'll be right back. Final thoughts on Inside Sources coming up next. 